Hey, hey, how's everybody doing? My name is Christian Wagner and I'm the Militant Thomist. So today I'm going to just be going over that article that I posted. Uh, it was probably this morning. Yeah, I wrote it last night. Um, I had a bit of a schizo moment is people were asking me about uh, what person means in the Trinity in the Discord. And I said, you know what? Uh, I just I just read a section on this, so I'm just going to write a whole article uh, explaining it. So that's what I did last night and came out this morning. So, oh, hey, Reformed Dweeb, what's up? So I'm just going to be explaining that. If you guys have any questions, I can answer them um, throughout. I think the article is pretty straightforward. But before that, do not forget... Um, like I mentioned, this was in the Discord. If you ask me questions in the Discord about stuff, you have a very good chance that I will do a video or an article on it. So join the Discord. I will put the link in the description right at this moment. Let me just copy that link. They're not in the description in the chat. So if you're rewatching this, it should be in the description. If not, just comment and I'll send you the link to the Discord. And then also Facebook, Twitter all that all that stuff i'm on um and then if you really like what i'm doing would like access to more stuff patreon.com such militant thomist and oh yeah christianbwagner.com slash shop uh, i have some books that are reprinted that are that are pretty good at least i think so um do that and i can't think of anything else oh yeah also um just a brief note, um, if you do have any questions about stuff you'd like to see me cover and uh, I think it's good, then I will probably do a video about it. So I always welcome people reaching out and asking me questions, but I will get right into it. So I'm going to share my screen to. There you go. Boom. That is actually my website right there. I always forget to share my website. But there it is. ChristianBWagner.com So, person in Trinitarian theology. Okay, so I guess we can pray the collect that I that I used before we begin. So, Lord, hear our prayer and let our cry come unto thee. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who has given unto us thy servants grace by the profession of the true faith, to acknowledge the glory of the eternal trinity and in the power of thy divine majesty to worship the unity. We beseech thee that by our steadfastness in the same faith, we may evermore be defended from all adversaries through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. Father Lagrange, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Okay, so... I'm just going to read it and then stop. And then if you guys have any questions, just throw them in the chat and I'll answer them real quick. So one of the difficult to understand yet vital aspects of Catholic theology is to correctly identify what is meant by person and notice persona. There's a distinction which is made in these classics between persona and hypostasis, which I didn't explicitly talk about here, but I can just talk about it uh, when we get to it. So in our experience of created reality, we possess such a strong intuitive knowledge of personhood, yet the ability to express the definition of such seemingly escapes us. To strengthen the difficulty, we are awash with psychological notions of personhood rooted in intellection and identity, rather than the clearly defined metaphysical notions of personhood that Catholic theology has developed and defined rigorously. 
Therefore, such a simple term as person ought not to be glossed over quickly. So notice right here, when you read um, patristic, uh, medieval, manualist theology, when they're talking about both Christology and Trinitarian theology, what you have to do is you have to throw away any notions of personhood that you may commonly have, because most most of the time, it's going to be something which is a psychological notion of personhood. It's going to be something which will lead to grave errors on the Trinity, which um, which was present actually in, um, I think it's uh, Gunther is his name, but there was a famous uh, modernist who wrote a tract on the Trinity and tried to bring in these notions of personhood, and he was condemned at um i think he was going to be condemned to vatican one but because of the war um they didn't quite get to his condemnation but the holy office condemned him so you have to be very very careful when we're going to be talking about what it means to be a person in trinitarian theology and in christology because you will fall into many errors and this is really the root of of most modern errors uh that you'll see among the the online uh, theologians is a lot of them fall into error on this, um, especially James White, our best friend. He seemingly has an error on this point. Um, and then also you'll see it in Muslim apologetics. When just 99.99999% of the time, when you run into a Muslim and they're trying to talk about doctrine of Christ or um, uh, De Deo Trino, they're trying to talk about trinitarian theology ultimately they're going to just have the the sort of modern western notion of personhood and they're not going to think hard about uh, how the catholic um, tradition has went about rigorously and very particularly defining what it means to be a person so this is the root of so many errors so it's so important uh, when it comes to defining what a person is so there are many so-called theologians today who are rooted more in Descartes, Freud, and Jung on this question of personhood, rather than the sense which the Catholic faith holds so stringently to. The height of theological error and pernicious heresy is wrought by those who err on this point. Therefore, the Catholic ought to hold fast this definition of person as he would his very life, being most essential to the defense and propagation of our faith. This error brings forth ridicule on the Catholic faith by our Mohammedan opponents. So there is a twofold error brought about by this essential corruption of the faith. There are examples too numerous to number. First, they err in Christology. For if person is a locus of intellection and willing, then Christ must have a single will in mind, because he is a single person which results in the heresy of the Apollinarians and the children of this heresy, such as monothelitism and so-called Neopollinarianism. So when it comes to Christology, I see it all the time with these discussions of people trying to trying to figure out. It, it's really silly. I, I'll, I'll see people talking about this. They'll try to figure out how Christ can have two wills, but only be one person. And then they're defining person as a locus of intellection. So they're saying, oh, Christ uh, somehow had one mind but two minds. Obviously, this is this is just silly and contradictory. And since and since they define person such, 
they're going to have serious errors and it's basically going to result in Apollinarianism because they're going to have to deny human soul of Christ. They're going to have to deny human mind. Um, they're going to have to deny human will. They're going to have to deny a human mode of intellection. They're going to have to deny all these things. And eventually it's just going to fall into Apollinarianism as we see with uh, William Lane Craig and his very messed up Christology. Second, they err in Trinitarian theology, for on the supposition above, the Trinity will be a mere moral communion of individual loci of intellection and will, falling into the heresy of the tritheists and the children of this heresy, such as the social Trinitarians. So basically what you get with this concept applied to Trinitarian theology is you have a mere communion of three centers of intellection. And interestingly enough, James White did slip up in a debate and say that the the persons of the Trinity were uh, centers of intellection, which is a grave error, because intellection is of the nature, not of the person. So the, this is the twofold error which is brought about, and obviously both are serious, because as as St. Thomas teaches in, let me think, um, it's the introduction to the compendium, or maybe compendium chapter one. I can't remember off the top of my head. But the Trinity and the Incarnation are the twofold foundation of our faith. So this twofold error destroys the foundations of our faith, no matter how nice they may be or how cool their proofs of God are. If you're going to err on this question of what a person is, then you are not even given the name of Christian because you have a sub-Christian theology when it comes to Christology and Trinitarian theology. So now that introductory matters have been dealt with, what then is a person? So to do such, I will set forth a process of deduction from the universal to particular, adding detail of each step until we arrive at our definition of person. And notice again, persona, because this is going to be distinct in the medievals and the manualists from hypostasis, as somebody uh, earlier brought up on Twitter is they thought that I was in error on this point, but actually there is a distinction brought up. Um, and this isn't uh, necessarily in line with the Greek and Latin language, but it's just a distinction which is um, appropriated in Western Trinitarian theology, is making this distinction between persona and hypostasis. So in each step, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be adding uh, what are called notes of personhood. So we can think of it um, like aspects or... Uh, attributes of personhood, if that makes sense. But uh, technically, they're called notes of personhood. And again, uh, since we have some new people here now, uh, if you have any questions, just throw them in the chat and I will answer them. So fundamentally, a person must be a being. So this should be pretty obvious. For if not, it would be non-being, and therefore would be nothing, which would be absurd. So a person is something, therefore a person is a being. Now, being can either be a substance, which is being um, its ends and say, so being in itself, or an accident, which is technically ends ab alio, so being in another. So clearly, personhood is not accidental to a certain thing, therefore it is a substance. So... Look at if, if you're really going to question this, you can look at um, Aristotle's and his categories of the nine categories of accidents and ask yourselves whether person fits in any of those. But I think it's pretty self-evident that 
person isn't an accident, but it's a substance. So right now we have a person is a substance. Okay, good. Now, substance can either be a prime substance, which is a concrete and individual substance, or secondary substance, which is an abstract and general substance. So self-evidently, a person is something which is concrete and individual, incommunicable to any other. So this distinction between prime substance and secondary substance. So think of secondary substance as you would genus. So it's something which is abstract and universal. So we can think of it in the sense of humanity. So humanity would be a secondary substance, something which is um, abstracted from reality and doesn't exist in reality, but only exists in the mind. And then prime substance is something which is concrete and individual. So um, uh, a specific instantiation of human nature would be a prime substance. So obviously, when we speak of a person, we're not talking about something which is abstract, general, and only existing in the mind. Sorry, I have to blow my nose. I'm still getting over my sickness. Okay, thank you. Oh, we have a good question right there. I'll table that for a second. So here we have arrived at what St. Thomas will term a hypostasis, i.e. an individual substance. Yet many things may be a hypostasis, yet not a person. For hands, feet, and the like are individual substances. Therefore, we can add a further note of that of integrity or completeness. Okay, there you go. So why did Peter Lombard think that Christ had two hypostases in one person? Well, the reason he thought uh, he had two hypostases is because he was defining hypostasis in such a definition as it would include uh, a rock. Um, so, or feet or hands or, or the like. And if I remember correctly, uh, St. Thomas is a section where he gives the same um, judgment um, that two hypostases, one person, one suppositum, if, if, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, I think this is in Summa Contra Gentiles, if I'm remembering correctly, where he, where he makes that judgment. But yeah, if you, if you have um, your definition of a person as an integral and individual substance, well, the humanity of Christ is an integral and individual substance, and the divinity is also an integral and individual substance. So you could say that uh, Christ had two hypostases. It would be three substances, two hypostases, one person, if you were defining terms like that. But you have to realize when the Greek fathers are talking about hypostasis, they're basically meaning it as they would persona. So it's it's very complicated and it sounds weird, but it makes sense if you're defining terms. Um, like the Latins are defining terms. Now we have arrived at a definition of an integral and individual substance, yet a difficulty arises. For Christ's humanity is said to be an integral and individual substance, yet we do not say that Christ's humanity is a person. Therefore, we can add another note that it is not only integral, but not a part of another whole in itself. And this is why when it comes to, this is very important, um, when it comes to the relationship between the body and soul in Thomistic um, anthropology, because Thomas in the, in the commentary on the sentences teaches that the separated soul is actually not a person. 
is that when the soul is separated from the body after death and has the beatific vision, that that soul cannot be said to be a person because the soul is not whole in itself. It is the part of another. It's the part of the complete um, person. So it needs the body in order to be uh, regarded as a person. So this is why, um, in particular, the body is so important to Thomistic anthropology because it is um, a necessary part of the whole. So therefore, the plain definition of pole, and this is talking about um, pole who wrote the dogmatic theology, arises an individual substance separate and distinct from all other substances of the same kind. So it's a um, primary substance possessing itself in all the parts, attributes, and energies which are in it. Okay, there we go. So now a further difficulty arises. There are many things which are integral and individual substances whole in itself that are not persons, such as a rock, book, pair of scissors, cigar, and the like, yet are not persons. Therefore, we add the note of a rational nature. The nature which is possessed by the person is a rational one. Okay, now we have we have arrived at our definition. So we can, I guess, add to pole an individual substance of a rational nature, separate and distinct from all other substances of the same kind, possessing itself in all the parts, attributes, and energies which are in it. But here we come into our grave error where people commonly err. And I'm going to check the chat real quick. Okay. So how does Aquinas' definition of person differ with the modern idea of a person as a seat of consciousness uh, slash self-aware experience? I've seen critics of Thomistic corruptionism argue from there. Yes, this is what I'm about to get into right here. So here the common error outlined above arises. It is very important to note that there is a strong difference between the possession of a rational nature in adding consciousness, will, activity as a note of personhood. So these, the, this is really where the, the rubber hits the road when it comes to these, these various modern errors. As on the one hand, you have the Thomistic and the Catholic conception of the possession of a rational nature. And on the other hand, you have the modernist notion of conscience, will, intellectual activity as being the note of personhood. So the person is the ego, so the I, which is the possessor and principle of such activity and not the intellectual activity itself. So that is really where the distinction is going to come. The person is the possessor and principle of intellectual activity, where with the modernist notion of person, it's going to want to make the intellectual activity itself the person. So the stream, like Locke will talk about the stream of consciousness being the person. That's what he will say is the person, but that is a grave error. And with uh, with those authors who apply that notion of personhood to the Trinity or the Incarnation, they <coughs> have been universally condemned by the Holy See. So a natural example will suffice to understand the problem present with the confusion. So I'm going to give an example right here. <coughs> sorry i'm dying over here for let's consider the case of a newly conceived child 
such ought to be regarded as a person. Only the defenders of infanticide differ in this regard. Yet all agree that such is devoid of consciousness. So when you have the, the, uh, the uh, what would it be, a zygote? I think that's the first stage of fetal development in utero. So you have the little zygote, like six weeks old, very little guy. That he's obviously uh, devoid of consciousness. He doesn't have a stream of consciousness going through his mind. So by what standard do we consider uh, him a person? What standard? And it also goes the same way when it comes to, let's think of a toddler. I guess a toddler, you could technically speak of them having consciousness, but uh, let's put it back a little bit. Um, your one-week-old baby. The one-week-old baby isn't uh, really a locus of rational nature at all. It's more um, of instinctual response when it comes to a child that young. And this is why we have the age of reason at seven years old. So we can't really speak of um, the very young child as being a locus of consciousness or of, uh, of, a, of a rational nature, um, being a rational nature itself, that is. By what grounds can he be referred to as a person? He has not yet reached the age of reason. With our definition of person, he certainly can be referred to as a person, for he is the possessor of a soul which has rational faculties and can be said to be the principle of a rational nature, and in a real sense, possessor of rational acts. Now notice this distinction right here, because you're going you're gonna to say, well, how is he the principle of, rational, of a rational nature? When he does not actualize um, that rational nature through um, through consciousness, through willing, through um, intellectual activity, and the such, but we make the distinction in in habit, not in use. And this comes from uh, Lombard, Peter Lombard. So um, he has the faculties, and he habitually uh, possesses rational activity but he does not actually use that rational um those rational faculties it's the same way in baptism this this distinction actually comes from peter lombard on baptism is uh in baptism the virtues of faith hope and charity are given although those virtues are not actualized so you can be the possessor of certain habits without actually using those habits and this is how we can um keep in line with our with our definition of person, and yet still define somebody who does not actualize the rational nature as a person, from which will arise, will arise, notice, will arise self-consciousness and volitional activity in act two, so in actuality. And this is uh, something that comes from Father Lagrange, is Lagrange is saying that when it comes to personhood, the personhood is, uh, the next sentence actually, the personhood is that root of the operation of self-consciousness and will, not the self-consciousness and will itself. So it is that root from will from uh, which will arise the conscious and volitional life of the person. It is the root, not the uh, conscious and volitional life itself. Notice the principle, the root, the actor, the possessor. These are these are all terms which are given, notes which are given to distinguish it clearly from the rational life itself. Let me see no last paragraph. Let me see if there's any. Are angels persons? Yes, they are persons. Um, 
what well, I can't remember the term which is given. Um, they're they're given a special note when it comes to personality. I just can't remember what note the scholastics use. The Thomistic notion of person seems almost identical with Boethius's definition. Yes, that is that is purposeful with Saint Thomas. He always uh, loves going back to Boethius's definition and then showing how um, how it is actually good. It has become popular to kind of poo poo on Boethius as super dumb when it comes to his definition of person, but in actuality, it's a pretty good definition. Are you ever going to do the, that show about Aquinas and Latin thought on Christ's human nature as an accident? Oh, I, I really, I forgot about that. Um, I don't have my notepad on my desk right now, but I would write myself a note. Um, if you have my Twitter or my, my discord, um, you can just message me and I'll remember to write a note to do that show. Cause I only did like a little, if I remember correctly, I only did like a little five minute bit on that. Okay. So let's get into the last paragraph now. So this example of an error clears up the true relationship between nature and person. So this is going to be very important when it comes to how we relate nature and person. It really fundamentally goes back down to that because, um, because it is my, it is my hunch that the, that the error when it comes to the modernists, um, on uh, personhood has to do with a collapsing of of uh, nature into person and person into nature is they don't correctly distinguish nature nature in person which actually uh, interestingly enough goes back to an inability to distinguish between the essence of a thing and the existence of a thing so the Thomistic conception of the uh, real distinction between essence and existence is really going to be what what um, is an anchor behind of this whole thing. And uh, actually, I won't rant about Scotus and Suarez. 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 I, I can't. Suarez. Why can I never uh, pronounce his name right? But um, yeah, they, they had a real issue with uh, denying the real distinction between essence and existence. And uh, it's gonna they're going to fall into some trouble with trying to define what a person is. But the, to the Chad Thomists are able to... Uh, able to keep a, a good definition. And Lagrange talks about this in his in his synthesis of Thomistic thought. Why can't I find it? Oh. Reality, the synthesis of Thomistic thought. He does talk about this when he talks about the um, hypostatic union. Sorry, I need to blow my nose again. This is terrible. Has Boethius, sorry, I was muted. Has Boethius ever been canonized? I, I wonder. I'm not sure. So this example of an error clears up the true relationship between nature and person, thus clarifying Catholic Trinitarian Christological thought. For the person is a possessor of the nature. This is self-evident in our language about personality. For we do not say I am a human nature, but I have a human nature. The I person possesses human nature. 
The person operates through the nature and is the principle of operation in the nature. Thus, the operations of the nature, including will and intellection, is not the person, but is referred to the person as its subject. So the, the person is the subject of operation in the nature. Thus, the operations of the divinity and humanity of Christ are referred to the person of the Son as its subject and principle, while yet there are two wills, intellections, etc. Because notice there would be an issue with the modern definition of person because um, with having two wills and intellections, they would de facto have two persons. But because the person is the principle and subject of, um, of rational activity, we can refer these two to one person. Etc. Further, there is one will in the Trinity, yet such can be predicated to three subjects, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Okay, so that is all I, oh yeah, and then also I got a lot of information from Paul's uh, dogmatic treatise on the Divine Trinity, 220 to 228, and then also Lagrange. So, okay, there's a question I see. How can we say that there is one intellect in the Trinity if there are three persons and intelligent is the definition of the term person? Good question, good question. Secundum scripturas, so according to the scriptures. Um, good name. So the reason that we can say this is because the, the three persons of the Trinity are all possessors of the one common nature. So there can be, uh, because it's an infinite uh, essence, these three are all possessors of the one will. So it does not necessitate that each three have to possess a different substance, but the three can possess the, the one rational substance. So that, that is why we speak of one intellect, one will, yet three persons. Is there an, any analogy between the persons of the Trinity and the husband and wife becoming one in the sacrament of matrimony? I have not heard of an analogy like that. The closest thing I can think of is a really good uh, patristic analogy, although I think it's Tertullian. Um, maybe it's Tertullian. I, I think it's one of the early Latin fathers who wrote about the Trinity who did deny that this analogy was good, but the rest of them like it. So uh, between Adam, Eve, and Seth, so Adam is the the um, the head, obviously, uh, of of the procession of Eve. Eve proceeds from his side, so that would be as the son proceeding from the father, and uh, Seth proceeds from Adam through Eve, because you know normal generation how that works. So in a sense, the there's there's only one principle yet um, the the father and son are one principle also of the spiration of the spirit, but we all have to be careful because um, they're, they, while they're three persons and while the processions are seemingly good, the, um, the mode of, of uh, procession um, has a separate nature, which is proceeding rather than the terminus being in the same nature. I think it was St. Cyril. Yeah, maybe. I can't remember. I'd have to look at my notes on this. Um, I read about it in, in Hall's treatment of this question. So what are some good Catholic primers on the Holy Trinity? I think it's in volume one. 
but this nope not volume one maybe volume two one one of these days i'm just going to do a whole stream if you guys would like this i'll just do a whole stream going over books about the trinity yep treatise the eighth treatise the eighth so this um outlines dogmatic theology i'll send the link real quick by hunter i can't stress how much i love this book but uh poll he recommends this um if i remembering correctly in the sts it's recommended to which uh poll in the sts they're a bit more difficult so i wouldn't say that would be a good primer but this in about 50 pages um does treat the question uh in very very succinctly um it goes over all the distinctions that would be present in catholic dogmatics generally it's just a really good work um i, I really like it let me go and get the link for you real quick and i'll send it yeah uh he's really good and then um I think in an earlier stream, I just went off like for like five minutes talking about books about the Trinity uh, that I really like. But if you want a primer, I'm not sure how deep you are in the lore. Wait, it's volume two. Let me copy the link address. This is hardcover. The first one's hardcover if you want hardcover. And then the second one's paperback if you want paperback. Copy link. There you go. Okay. So. So what caused the Eutychian controversy over St. Cyril? Um, so I have, where is. Trying to look to see where I put it. Um. Cannot, cannot find it right now. I'm looking for my copy of Severus of Antioch's works. I cannot find it right now. But actually, um, yeah, I guess this would be good enough. Um, Leonetius of Byzantium. I did an interview with the guy who translated this. It's pretty good. If you just look up Leonetius of Byzantium, I'm sure I'm the only guy on YouTube talking about him. Um, Severus of Antioch, uh, he's also good in trying to understand the, the initial terms, but really the whole, the whole controversy surrounding, um, St. Cyril's, uh, the, the Miaphysite controversy, although that's a pretty sucky name to call it Miaphysite. Maybe it's under my desk. I will, I will, I'm, I'm just, this is going to kill me until I find it. Dang it. Why can't I find it? This is terrible. This is so embarrassing. On stream right now, and I can't find one of my books. I just have books lying everywhere. Um, yeah, I can't find it right now. But maybe it's under my laptop. No, it's not. I should just stop looking for it and keep talking. So, yeah, it's it's basically a difference in language. If you read Severus of Antioch, it seems like he's just saying the same thing as Chalcedon is trying to say and then getting steamed at Chalcedon. Uh, that, at least that's my personal opinion um, on the matter. And then... Yeah, I, I think reading Cyril himself, it's clear why I actually did a whole paper on Cyril and I did a research project on Cyril a while ago. I did a lot of reading in him, but it's pretty clear from St. Cyril between his earlier days and his later days why there would be confusion 
because Saint Cyril is extremely confusing uh, when it comes to how he changes his language over time between his earlier and his later days. Let me see if I can find that article I wrote. Um, that would be helpful too, because I take mostly from the the later works of Cyril to kind of prove the, um, there it is, diaphysitism, an introduction to Chalcedonian Christology. And this was written like, this was my first article that I ever posted. So this was written like a year and a half ago, right? Actually closer to two years ago now. So I don't know. I can't, I can't vouch for how good it is, but at least I remember it not being terrible. But yeah, I draw mainly from the later works of St. Cyril um, in order to prove it. So even though the Trinity works insepar inseparably at extra, can we say that certain effects have their terminus in one person? For instance, the Trinity inseparably affects the incarnation, but it ends in the Son alone. Yeah, the terminus... Uh, it'd be the terminus ad quem, not the terminus. The terminus ad quo would be the whole Trinity inseparably operating, and the terminus ad quem would be uh, the Son alone. Um, I would, I, th I think that would be, I think that would be a fine way of speaking about things. Can we get more geocentrism content? Oh yeah. People love the geocentrism stuff. Actually, um, I have a stream at seven in case you guys are wondering. So I probably have to go in a few minutes, um, with, with the other Paul on his channel. He wants me to try to debunk Protestantism. So. If you guys want to hop over there later and ask more questions, it's going to be a basically more chill stream. So you could ask stuff, but geocentrism content. I haven't thought about bringing anybody else on. Maybe I'll bring Gideon again. That was interesting. You guys have any people you'd want me to interview um, recommend for talking about geocentrism. I'd love to do it. Um, yeah, but that was, that was one of my most interesting interviews was bringing on a round table with uh, Roberts and Janice and uh, Gideon. Okay, off topic, but on the idea of a human person, are you a corruptionist or a survivalist? I feel like we need a debate on this. By corruptionist or survivalist, are you talking, I'm trying to think about what you're exactly referencing to. I'm trying to think. Um, are, are you talking about whether the, the human person is corrupted or survives? Uh, after death, because in that case, I'm a strong corruptionist um, and because I just follow whatever St. Thomas says, because the magisterium has said that he is a safe path. So, but if you give me more context, I can, I would love to debate somebody on that. That'd be super fun. Do you like the magnet analogy for dealing with the incarnation question? I do. I do really like, that. um, uh, hmm. I feel like if we like kind of reversed the magnet because it's, it's weird because it's because it's like we have two operations, which would be the, I, I don't know. That'd be, that'd be weird. I'd have to like nuance that a lot. Yeah. I, I know that's a, that's a terrible response to just say, yeah, that's weird. We need to nuance that a lot, but, but I feel like you have two poles, but kind of like one draw, but it would be the opposite. You'd have like one pole, but two draws would kind of be the way in which the incarnation would work. 
yeah, that that would that's a very interesting analogy. I'd have to have that depending on how you explain that. That might be good or bad. So, have you ever read the Huxley Wilberforce debate? I I have not. Wait, wait, was that the like atheism debate? If I'm remembering correctly. Okay, well, I will see you guys. I'm probably gonna go see you guys in 17 minutes. If you have any more questions, you can bring them over there, and I'm sure um, the other Paul will be fine with me answering them. So I will talk to you guys later. Remember, all the links and stuff can be viewed below. And if you like Greek and you're bad at Greek, go to fluentgreeknt.com and use the code militant for 20% off. And goodbye. Which outro do I want to use? It's always the question. Glory to God.